Hey, what's going on, guys? My name is Kenneth Jackson. I'm an actor from Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Trey Riley. I'm a writer-director from Charlotte, North Carolina. And this is Cinevibes. I'm not recording. Now it's switched. I just started. I just... I, oh, I'm so off my game. So... What have you been watching? What have I been watching? Did you watch anything since we last gathered? Oh, I, I feel like I have. Oh, I just watched the second season of Umbrella Academy. Okay. Just watched that. And That's on Netflix, right? It's on Netflix. Everybody's talking about it. I've seen so many podcasts pop up about Umbrella Academy in the last few weeks <laughs> um, since it dropped and I don't know I saw the first season and I loved it like there's one scene in the first season that got me hooked on a song and I'm still hooked on it really? and it's the one where Luther is dancing with um, it's weird to say but his, his I can't remember her name um, anyways the song, it was absolutely it's sister, uh, dance, Dancing in the Moonlight was uh, the name of the song by Top Loader, and literally that is such a vibe. That song. Like, anytime I feel down, I listen to that song and mm-hmm. I, I'm transported. It's a good one. It's really good. But I've been watching that. I finished that last night. I think I literally binged it in two days, which I guess is not binging. That's, you know, mild binging. Um, <laughs> but other than that, my, my TV has broke and I used to watch movies on that. So now I'm back to my computer. What about you? You got to get that you... TV fixed. I know. All right, guys, fixed. we're going to set up a GoFundMe. <laughs> We're going to get this guy a new TV. Get this man a new TV so he can review more movies. How can he do this show without a TV? (laughs) How can I do this? How could he not have TV? Yeah. Oh, what did I watch? I actually binge, well, as much as I could, uh, the Ted Lasso show. Oh. That's on Apple TV+. Yeah, with... It's got Jason Sudeikis. I was going to say Jason Sudeikis. I... I want to say he developed this character somewhere (laughs) and like it was good enough that it got a show because I don't think it's a real thing, even though it it was very real. But I mean, you watch shows sometimes and you're like, I could watch this whole season and it'll be good and it'll be fine. You know, I'll waste 10 hours of my life. And I'll probably forget it. But with this show, I'm telling you, dude, like, it's a breath of fresh air. Like, the comedy is excellent. The the characters are lovely. It's set in the UK, but he's, Mm -hmm. like, from the Midwest. Oh, yeah, good old... So, it's, like, this cultural clash going on, and he's, like, just the nicest happy-go-lucky guy in the world and like there's a lot of stuff in the background of like maybe he's you know not had the best of circumstances lately but yeah my gosh like i would highly recommend it and 
fortunately or unfortunately, it's weekly episodes, so I gotta oh, wait yeah. to keep watching. I, whenever I saw that it was on Apple, I was like, I'm about to. I was like, I'm about to go and get my Apple subscription to watch it, and then I was like, oh, it's probably weekly, so yeah. I wouldn't be able to watch it like binge it like I would want to. Yeah, it's on our season five. Season episode five will be releasing Thursday or Friday, whatever their dates are for releases. Mm. Um, and I think there's ten episodes, and but they already got renewed for a second season. Like mm-hmm. oh, people have only seen four episodes, and well, I mean, I guess the studio saw all of it, but yeah, um, just yeah, like that was great. And then I yeah. watched. Uh, a prime video kind of like an amazing race type of thing but it was called world's toughest race mm, and it's just I feel like, like i saw something about this 670 kilometer 11 day endurance challenge and for anyone that's not familiar with metric units that's like 400 miles <laughs> on uh-huh. like bike uh canoes kayaks swimming running uh, repelling like all these things yeah and it's like from countries all around the world and Fiji, it was in fiji this or mm-hmm. whatever year they filmed this but yeah it's hosted by barry grill so you know it's good oh i i feel like i did see something <laughs> wasn't that the one with the grown man crying in the trailer uh, could be. There's a lot of crying. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, um, breaking down all these macho <laughs> folks. Yeah, that's I I I saw that. And to go back to what was it called? Um, for Jason, uh, Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. I definitely want to watch that because it just ah uh, that I saw the review or not reviews, but the previews for it and i was like this is just gonna be some solid content yeah like top-notch content you give that a little stamp and a little just tm beca- at the top <laughs> just because i knew that um jason sudeikis is a fantastic comedian in the fact that he doesn't even try to be comedic it's just like he could be talking about the last time he went to the grocery store and i would just sit here dying on the floor laughing and like i said i think he just developed this character like in something else little skits or something and then it was so like Mm well-rounded he gets his own show yeah which um, I'm happy it is because, yeah. like, I, I loved all his skits in SNL. Every single skit he was in, I was always. He's one of those guys that if he made a movie, I'm probably going to watch it. Yeah, no doubt. I don't even necessarily care what it's about. Yeah. And then. Wait, he was in. Uh, he was in. It's not. Meet the Mill- Millers? Yeah, meet. We're the Millers. We're the Millers. Yeah, yeah. Solid. Yeah. It's great yeah. road trip comedy. Yeah. That one, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I, my parents love that one. That's a great one to watch with the family. Right. <laughs> Definitely not trying to avert eyes and awkwardly not try and stare at Jennifer Aniston. And tarantulas. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. What are we reviewing today, my friend? 
I guess we might as well get to the actual topic at hand. Today, we are talking about a little movie that not many people saw coming. It was very on the horizon. People were like, oh, that's cute. That's nice. It's, you know, it's very <laughs> niche. The and then out of nowhere, film. everybody literally saw it and were like, this is it. We we can't go further with cinema. This is as far as we go. Anxiety is uh, killing me. What is it? Yes. It's Parasite. We are talking about Parasite today and how it took home every single award known to mankind and in every single category in every <laughs> single film fest. That's right. The 2019 film at a runtime of two hours and 12 minutes swept the nation after its Oscar buzz and after winning four Oscars for mm -hmm. perhaps the most prestigious title, Best Picture. Right. Just put that on a sticky note right above it. Just, yeah, four and Oscars. The most notable thing about, aside from winning Best Picture, is the fact that it was the first foreign language film to win Best Picture in the history of the Oscars, which, mm. you know, again, to your point, I don't think anyone saw it coming, yeah. but if you saw the movie, you definitely saw it coming because it's oh, amazing. Yeah. No, honestly, if you saw the movie, you probably didn't know what was coming next, <laughs> honestly. like Very true. Which we'll, we'll get deeper into why that is and why my mind was blown and why it definitely is deserving of the accolades that it received. I think in general, I'm going to try and resist giving my grades, mm -hmm. but tonight I'm going to tell all of my grades up front because I just, I want to dive into why it's yeah perfect. So yeah. first off, 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, 90% mm -hmm. audience score, a 96 mm -hmm. meta score, my rating a 9 out of 10, like... This is well received by everyone. Critics, and that, your that, cousin, whatever. That 10% is from people who were like, I don't want to read the subtitles. Yeah. And then they didn't watch it, so therefore they didn't get to enjoy it. And to that little bit of a community out there, maybe it's bigger than I think, but it's just subtitles. It's think subtitles. about every movie that is made in the US. People are watching Top Gun with subtitles, and they love it. Like, get over it. They're it watching doesn't Top take away Gun in Italy where it's dubbed, and everyone in Italy has told me the dubbing is absolute garbage. <laughs> we can sit here and we can read like, art. We get the best subtitles. So, if that's the hang up, at least know that. Anyhow, this <laughs> I movie, digress. I digress. This movie <laughs> is something else. And it's coming from. Bong Joon-ho, which, you know, I mentioned that name. Most people are probably like, okay, like, who's that? Well, maybe know him now. Cause no, now Parasite. everyone's like, oh my God, but, Bong Joon-ho. You know, pre-2019, maybe even a few years before that, you know, he made Snowpiercer and then he made, um, I believe, Okja on Netflix. Um, He might not have made Okja, but I think he did. Anyways, he's got... Movies under his belt. He's been in it for a while, but he's just kind of coming on the surface. And I gotta say, 
the guy is a visionary. Like the way he tells a story, and in this case, or in all cases, actually, he's written all of his projects. He's directed, so just phenomenal uh, ability to tell stories. Yeah, I definitely loved this movie and uh, the story you talked about him writing. Honestly, like one of the we, we touched on it a little bit, I think, in a previous interview. But the story, I was thoroughly like not on the edge of my seat, but it wasn't like I was it, it made me wonder what was going to happen next. And then when what happened next happened, I was like wait what and then it made me question and like not even that but just every single element of this film you could see a lot of love and passion went into the structure the story the framing all this sort of stuff that i think just uh bong joon ho had such a full grasp on the entire project because he now has out the sketchboard or the storyboard of making this movie which you can see where he was in the developmental process and how he thought up scenes and stuff like that which fantastic i i love that i literally was looking for and i this was right after i finished watching uh parasite and i was trying to get into storyboarding and i still am trying to learn how directors do it and so i looked up the parasite storyboard book and there it is uh it might be 30 bucks but (laughs) how many movies have you looked up storyboards for that's the thing is that i looked up storyboarding books on amazon and that was the number one and i as far as i could tell that was pretty much the only one that was fully dedicated to a movie right and it might just be because of the popularity now Mm -hmm. but you know, other books are probably on the craft of doing storyboards. A director's point of view of doing a storyboard and this talking about it. Literally, the storyboard. This is the storyboards that yeah. he used. That's awesome. I'm glad stuff like that's available, even if it costs a few bucks. Yeah. So I definitely believe he had such a grasp on this film in the fact that I, I don't. It, it, it blew me away with how amazing it was. And when was uh, your first time watching it? First time watching was it was a few. Uh, I would. It was a few weeks ago. I would say probably around August seventh, somewhere around so that. So you, you heard all the buzz. You saw it win all the Oscars, and you're just mm-hmm. kind of like, "This is one I want to say for a rainy day when I, I felt- like need to be in the right headspace." Yes, I I believe that 100% because I felt I wasn't ready for it. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, now I don't know if I'm still ready for... I assume you didn't know much about it going in, yeah? No, I I didn't. Parasite, all I knew was the the idea of what it was about. A family starts to leech off of another family like a parasite. That's all I knew. And... Other than that, stylistically, no idea where the story goes, what the family is like, what causes them to do this and Mm -hmm. leech off of another family. No idea. Yeah. Were you concerned about it being a Korean film in the sense that 
maybe not knowing it, if it would resonate fully with you, even though like people were saying, yeah, like it hits everyone. I was anticipating it because it was a foreign film. Yeah. I had, and this is coming off of watching Roma, which is another fantastic film I would love to talk about at some point on the podcast. But sure. I had seen Roma and I'm already a fan of foreign film. I'm trying to get my hands on as much foreign film as possible. And yeah. uh, I've even watched French movies in French. I mean, I was learning French at the same time, so it's kind of like helping That's me. That's pretty both helpful. Ways. But it's seeing how they film and what how they get messages across. And you can see the cultural differences whenever you do watch a film that not in your native language and it's made by someone foreign for a foreign audience you can see the cultural <laughs> nuances right but underneath i think we're all human and which i i think the people that aren't are lizard people but <laughs> we're all we all have the same feelings and ideas but it's just not in the same language and so going into this film i definitely was like, this is going to be something I'm going to dedicate my entire time to yeah. watching and paying attention to and making sure I truly watch it. Yeah, I think, you know, film as a medium and even music, you know, you don't need to know what it's being said. Like, you can literally watch Parasite without any words. Now it would be, you know, less gripping because the words are perfect um mm -hmm. but like you know if you don't know korean then say you don't watch it with any words on the screen yeah it just really teaches you how much our eyes are telling us about a project and the emotions that we're seeing like we don't have to hear anything and yeah. um i'd actually be curious to watch it in, in, in that way because it's such a well-made film and the script and the dialogue and mm -hmm. the visuals and the execution of the shots and the blocking and all that stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah, to your point, I think it's a great, I hope it's a film that like gets people excited about, Oh, it's just another language. Yeah. Like it's still a film just like, I don't know. Uh, what's a little indie film that's in English that people love like that's exactly what Parasite can be that's what yeah. Cold War can be a great I think Polish film that I watched um, mm -hmm. you mentioned a French film you know Portrait of a Lady on Fire Portrait of a Lady on Fire amazing I you know that was one of the last ones I got to see in the theaters but I I think it opened up another world to a lot of people that were kind of sleeping on movies that weren't in their language yeah, and I love that because it shows, and you were saying, film, and Bong Joon-ho, in one of his acceptance speeches, I don't know if it was for the Oscars, maybe it was for one of his Oscars that he won. One of the he, many awards. It, one of the many awards. I'm sure he got tired of walking that <laughs> night. Um, but one of the things he said in one of his speeches is something that, I think a lot of people are so reticent to do is that we joked about it before, but the subtitles reading those and people are like, Oh, I'd rather watch something in my own language and something in my own language has like English yeah. has to be better than anything else. And he said in his acceptance speech, 
you know, once you get over that little bit of screen that you have to read stuff, there's a whole world that you're mm. open to. That's beautiful. Right? Can you find that quote? Because I would love to. I need to find it. And I know exactly. What, I knew what you were thinking before you even said it. And I was like, man, he's about to mic drop on us. I need that quote, but that pretty much is the gist is that once you get over that, there's a whole world of cinema that you're missing because it's not, and we talked about this, I think, on a previous podcast, or at least I had with you, is that you can tell so much in a film by just a shot or two. Mm -hmm. You don't, and there doesn't have to be dialogue. Like, this is literally just showing two pictures side by side, and the meaning could be completely different between uh, other scenes or between other shots or whatever, but it tells a story through the shot sequence. Yeah. And it's, you know, don't turn your back on a film just because it is in a different language, because everybody has the opportunity to have a moment of greatness and show what they can do. Right, it doesn't matter what language or where you come from. I found the quote. Fine, just drop it, drop it. All right, he said, and this was at the Oscars, I believe. Sorry, this was at the Golden Globes. Ah. Um, he said, once you overcome the one-inch-tall barrier of subtitles, you will be introduced to so many more amazing films and like you couldn't see me but i just mic dropped because yes that yes. is everything like i couldn't agree more with a statement Mm-hmm. because film cinema has come from france right it was developed by a, like the french initially and it comes from a long line of just uh evolutions in film which we're not going to get into but it's just this is not something that once you're accustomed to watching english films that's all you watch right yeah. which i think a lot of americans which is another subset of the population who watch anime they are they already understand this because i know many friends who are like oh i only watch the japanese dubbed version I can't, or not not dubbed, but the uh, subtitled version. I can't listen to the dubbed version. It's terrible in yeah. English. They love the original. I'll be actors. honest. Dubbing should be illegal. Yeah. <laughs> because at a minimum, you're taking away someone's arti artistic vision by diluting it with whatever you think makes it appeal to your audience. Like, yeah, I think people just got to get over it or don't watch a movie. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with people not watching it, but it takes away from the experience because you don't have the original actor's voice to convey that emotion. Yeah. I mean, again, I would rather just listen to them in their own language with no subtitles than to yeah. hear it in English to like mm -hmm. satisfy our little, we're American and we got to be awesome and beat everyone yeah. and control everything. Like, no, that's, yeah. we're, we're done with that. That, that, that is so like last, <laughs> last so century. century. It's, it's so not 2020. Um, 
But let's go ahead and dive into Parasite a little bit further. We can uh, go back to topics that we kind of touched on throughout that first section. But yeah, let's dive into Parasite and some of what we liked from the film and our overall take on it. Yeah, I think you set it up nicely when you mention like the synopsis from the title and it's the wealthy Park family which we're Mm -hmm. introduced to fairly early on. Mm -hmm. And then the poorer family, the Kim family, which as soon as the movie opens, we're on the Kim family. Yeah. And we see their conditions. I mean, they're living in this like basement pretty much. And while they have windows, this is actually something I'm going to talk about later, but they have these windows, but all they can see is like the poverty all around them. I mean, people peeing in front of their house, uh, apartment, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, just like early on, the like divide between the classes is made apparent. And that's yeah, um, a very big theme throughout the film where it's kind of this achieving goal for the Kim family, or at least mm-hmm. the son, um, to kind of get out of that. And so, you know, from that point forward, it's kind of their mission to, um, infiltrate this household, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. That with the beginning of this film, it really sets it up nicely to show what the family goes through and what the struggle of the film is going to be about. And, uh, what ultimately they will have to overcome or at least go like in the whatever the circle is of the stories what are they going to try and get out to um what are they having to overcome their challenge and such and i think it did a fantastic job there's the guy like literally peeing on the corner showing like everything they can't get money they're so poor and they don't have a job and they're struggling so hard to scrape together what they can and um it also talks about how they didn't have enough to go to school or go to university as well yeah the son wasn't able to uh and so was the daughter because they're both like the age to go off to school you know older kids um and now they're back just trying to keep their family, you know, afloat however Mm -hmm. they can. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it set it up beautifully. But then the movie really starts kicking off whenever they get a visit from a friend of theirs. And uh, he gets an opportunity to um, go be a tutor for the The, Park family's daughter. The buddy of the son who is from a higher class, you know, visits. And this is where one of the kind of motifs is introduced, that rock. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we need to spoiler disclaim any of these because we're just, we're going all in there every time. So whatever. But he gets this rock and because it's coming from this person that he kind of you know, aspires to be, I think it, I mean, it's just a rock. Like it's not made of gold, but he gets it and it's like this idol he makes. And to him, it's like, this is a symbol of 
like wealth. And so mm-hmm. you see it throughout the film, even near the end, um, which we'll get to, but that's the first introduction of one of the motifs that kind of helps to guide us along this theme of like class inequality. Yeah. It's almost like a character in itself, honestly, the yeah. rock. Because multiple times when I was watching the film, I would be like, the rock would go and we're not talking about Dwayne by the way (laughs) so the rock would show up whether he's picking it up or uh, moving it or just looking at it from it being broken on its stand or whatever and um, I think he also tried to use it on the guy peeing outside Mm -hmm. is that yeah so even if it's something small like that you're still reminded of the rock every single time throughout the film yeah. And it's not just one like, oh, it's a nice gift. We're going to put this on a shelf. And then you don't see it until the end. It's constantly throughout that you're reminded that it's there. Mm-hmm. And you can tell it's a very intentional choice by Bong to introduce it and kind of have it become a, a character in, it, in itself with, I mean, literally, like he's idolizing it. I, I think he mm-hmm. even like talks to it, right? I think so. Or like kind of praise to it. So like it's very much a whatever this is, like it shifted his paradigm. And so from that point forward, he's trying to achieve something that his family apparently has not been able to do. And mm-hmm. that is wealth and social class, um, like jumping, so to speak. Yeah. And so he gets this tutoring gig, which is not qualified for but right there's a little bit of a a commentary in there about like the uh, ignorance of higher class especially in the case of the um i forget her name but the park family the wealthy family the wife character she i mean you could tell her anything and she would believe it and yeah. ultimately that's why he's able to get that job So, like, the movie, it's perfectly split in half, and Bong's been quoted saying this, that, like, until the middle, the movie hasn't even really started yet. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the script, it's like 140 pages. And dead in the middle of it, at 71 pages, there's a doorbell. Right. So, up to this point, this family has infiltrated in every sort of aspect of life that they can, this wealthy family. And so now we got him tutoring, the daughter's uh, kind of tutoring, babysitting, the younger son of the Mm -hmm. wealthy family. Like an art tutor. The mom comes in to replace the maid, which the way they get rid of her is amazing. Yeah. Um, And then the dad's the driver for the, um, the dad character that in the wealthy family, which you know he's like the breadwinner, so to speak, and you know, jobs kind of everything for him. Yeah. So like that's all the setup, and like it gets to this point where it's like okay, they like their plan worked, like they yeah. now they what? leech off this family, they're in like, and this is where I'm going to come back to the window it shifts in a scene where they're all in the house while the rich family is away doing rich things. And they're looking out into this yard from the mansion that 
they have kind of gotten into. Mm-hmm. And you see what they've never seen before, privacy. Yeah. It's this empty yard and this compound. It's gated. It's secure. Like, they're just getting drunk and enjoying this moment. Mm-hmm. They're eating. They're enjoying themselves. Yep. Yeah. I and then the think, movie starts. And then, yeah. So, that was where I was like, and rightfully so, I think it did it perfectly, is that you get to that point and you're kind of like, okay, well, they got what they wanted. How could this go bad? And then it it takes a turn. <laughs> How bad is it? It takes a turn whenever the uh, old housekeeper comes back. Right? She comes back and it's it's kind of creepy. I don't know. She she seemed a bit nutty to me. Yeah. Uh, a little bit batty. A little bit off. Yeah. And whenever she was talking to the uh, through the doorbell and initially i was like yeah don't let her in <laughs> just just say i could get whatever you need and right. uh just go on with your business and throw it over the fence if i was rooting for the kim family but they ended up letting her in and she's like oh i gotta go down to the cellar to grab something and so we're all like okay well you know she hasn't seen any of the rest of the family she's only seen the mom who is supposed to be there but then um a little while later, you're like, well, wh- where is she? Like, they, they've talked, you know, the family has talked amongst themselves, like, yo, what's what's going on? And lo and behold, they go down there, and a little woman is just trying to, she's literally, like, got herself wedged between a bookshelf <laughs> and a wall, trying to push a cabinet away from something. And I'm like, okay, that's odd. Well, yeah. first you were freaking me out. Now you're just crazy. You're delusional. Um, you're you're just off your rocker. And so finally they help do that, and there's a secret cellar. Go down there. Not, not no big deal. Just hoarding the woman's husband. Uh, <laughs> and then proceeds to tell that he's been there for what two years. Yeah, he, uh, her husband, the maid's husband, was living in this underground cellar below the house. And when she got fired, he was left there. So, you know, no one else knew that this existed. It was from, you know, before the, the other family moved in. And I just think it's a beautiful setup for a film to escalate to a level because like you could end it at the doorbell or before the doorbell and it's a it's a good film still like yeah there's a lot of things there but there's not a lot of tension per se but man that like 10 minutes it takes from a turn her on the intercom to kind of their whole life falling apart. I mean, everything yeah. just starts unraveling immediately. The, like, the whole family yeah. gets exposed and they're all kind of like, you know, you're a fraud, but like you're kind of the fraud, fraud too. Cause like my <laughs> husband's down here and I've been like keeping him captive kind of or like safe. And it's, I guess I, it's a good 
like commentary on what people will do to try and better their circumstances from yeah. two different perspectives, but like they both had the same goal mm-hmm. because, you know, I think that, and I don't know how often this happens, but there's a few moments in life where wealth and poverty meet mm-hmm. and they're when your driver is driving the rich person. It's when the maid's cleaning your mansion. It's when you hire a tutor or a nanny or whatever to babysit your rich kids. Like when those things cross, there's a tension. Like that's yeah. a a pressure cooker just waiting to go off because like there's two totally different lives happening. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then I, it's cranked up to eleven. Yeah. So I loved that that was in the script because as someone who is looking at stories more objectively and you know what something is doing for a story and as someone who's an actor trying to determine uh, what my main role is trying to figure out how can I make this character more interesting how can I bring something more to this role how can I bring more without there being much you know or the lines can be said a million different ways but how can i bring something that'll heighten it how can i make myself more into the story and i love that this person that's living in the basement it's like it's not just she's storing oh i've just been laundering a little bit of money from the family and you know i just happen to have a big stockpile and i wanted to grab it before i left no she's got her husband down there (laughs) no let's let's not just dip our toes into the water let's dive straight in that's pretty much what happens with that and not only that but when the family slips down the stairs and it's revealed you know everything seemed to be going fine the family's listening in nothing has been compromised if anything it's been found that the old maid was lying and that she was you know, possibly going to go to jail if it got out. Yeah. But then the family slips down the stairs and their whole plan goes south very fast. Yeah. The playing field is immediately level. Mm-hmm. They've lost all their upper hand. Um, and I mean, I don't even, do you remember why it was down there? Like why he, he was, was down there disabled, right? So he couldn't work. And she's just like, was trying to like sustain him i can't remember yeah it was something like that in the fact that they weren't able to provide adequate housing for him because like she let or like she you know obviously stayed upstairs but um they couldn't like afford a house or something yeah it was something like that he was having he was down on his luck and he was unable to go i don't know if it was mental i can't remember if it was a mental illness or some form of fashion or uh what specifically caused him to not be um quote unquote a productive member of the society and get a job yeah but he wasn't he was trapped down there for two years and yeah i i think it's like throwing not you're not just squirting a little bit of gas on the fire you're throwing the entire can (laughs) and I love these little what ifs because you can almost see them in the writer in the fact that 
what if they happen to slip down the stairs? What happens? Right? You know? Yeah. What if they what if they didn't get caught? Right? These are two differing timelines that if one went the other way, it was fine. It would have ended like, oh, you're going to go to jail. We're going to win. Just like, oh, I'll grab whatever you need. I'll bring it to you. Throw it over the fence. Right? Mm-hmm. You can take the easy way out, but let's find the interesting choice. Let's make them slip down the stairs and level the playing field. <laughs> and and then pretty much switch it to where they're the ones hostage now. Honestly, if they hadn't slipped down the stairs, it probably would have just literally been her letting the old maid go just to try and like draw the least amount of attention to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously they would have known about the seller, but you know, they, I think all they were doing at that point in terms of the Kim family was mm-hmm. surviving. Yeah. Like it was going straight downhill all the way back to their little apartment from that moment forward yeah yeah i i I love that whenever they were caught and it was found that the kims were pretty much leeching off of the family and that they're all related and it comes out in that uh video that she was going to send to the family and it's almost like holding a time bomb whenever they're held hostage oh yeah finally they get control. They have their little scuffle. They fight. And um, I believe that's whenever they... Uh, yeah, the Kim... Uh, not Kim. Um, Park family comes back. They got rained out on a got, on their outing. And so they're on their way back. Get rained out on their... Uh, and that's another choice is like... That adds more tension is... We got this problem. Now we have another problem we have to deal with. And so... Then they go into fight or flight mode where they have to push them down the stairs and literally like the (laughs) maid is coming up the stairs. This is one where it made me jump back. I was like, oh, sound engineer. My God, did you have to throw in that crunch? Because then the mom kicks the maid down the stairs. The maid hits her head and I'm like, we're talking like a solid left jab kick. Yeah. Like she flies down the stairs. She goes rolling and then uh, she comes to a solid stop after cracking her head on the wall. And I'm like, well, she's dead. Uh, I'm like, there's no way she's coming back from that. And it was very pronounced. Um, And so they they put her back in. uh, They prop her up next to the door and they close the cellar. But I was like... This is nuts. This has gone wacky very fast. All of that's happening to, like, you know, thinking about the pacing. This is all just immediate, like, within minutes of all these different scenarios colliding. The family's coming home. They're, like, barely getting the cellar door closed. Mm -hmm. They're cleaning up. Um, Like, just so many layers to getting that done perfectly which gives it that heightened like thriller aspect and um really just it's so tough to get the pacing right yeah and 
you know, you can maybe argue up to that point that pacing's whatever normal if normal is a thing. Right. But like it's dialed in from that point to the end and yeah. everything's just perfectly timed and someone walks around a corner right when someone else like appears and it's just got all those amazing goodies in there. Yeah. That and then they have to spend the night under the coffee table. And that <laughs> that was uh an interesting scene where I was like, I'm I'm looking for the dichotomy and the the you know, besides the dialogue behind it, but just the action of them getting it on on the couch while they're under the coffee table. And it's just something where I that that scene I was like, there's something there. I need to watch it a second time to get the full aspect of what it is. Yeah. But um the, he mentions on the couch he's do you he, do you smell mr kim right and i think that's a big aspect when it comes to the very end right yeah um is he's like he has this smell like onions right something like yeah. that and uh it's hilarious because mr kimmy he, he smells himself and he's like really right <laughs> and um so it's almost like uh, I guess the privilege uh, and not having to work as or perceived as not having to work as hard the rich family versus them struggling to try and have have everything together at that point and keep their plan succinct and make sure nothing goes awry. That's kind of the smell is a huge motif in the film throughout because you know, earlier on once they all get hired that little boy almost foils the whole plan, but like he's a kid, so like whatever. But he smells the dad, the driver, Mm -hmm. and then he runs over and smells the mom, the maid, and they smell the same. And he's like, they smell the same. And, you know, like normal parents, I guess, they're like, okay, like whatever. But like, as an audience member, you're watching that and you're like, oh, freak, like it's about to all come out. And so yeah. they even talk about changing laundry detergents and stuff. But yeah, from that moment forward, smell is like a divider. Mm-hmm. And specifically for the dad, because he's kind of fine, but you can tell he feels disrespected. Yeah. And it's kind of just this growing tension as the movie goes on and on and on. Yeah. And. Um, he keeps hearing like, you know, smells bad. Smell like the subway or like what's that smell? You know, like roll down the windows mm-hmm. in the car. All these different things, oh, yeah. and it's a really cool use of like smell. Like mm-hmm. how do you Which think is of that? A sense you know? we can't use in cinema. Yeah, but they use it, and it's like mm-hmm. I'm with you. Like absolutely, of course. Like we've all well smelled bad first off but even been around folks that might not have had the opportunity to shower as much and like it's a like it's a thing it's a it's a reality off a very bad vibe and so you know dividing further with that was just a really smart choice in my opinion Mm -hmm. yeah 
And that all that happening, uh, another big thing, and I saw many memes on Facebook and other um, platforms, is the scene where the place is flooded. They get back to their apartment. Everything's flooded. They grab what they can. Uh, there is a scene where the rock is in the water, and it's very pronounced there as well. Um, and... The, uh, oh, I just remembered, like, they were able to get Wi-Fi, and Wi-Fi was a big deal for them as well. Um, had to sit on with, the toilet. Yeah, they had to sit on the toilet to get Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> That's where we really need it, though, right? <laughs> I know, right? It's where you read all the best <laughs> memes. Um, but I saw that, uh, the flood, it occurs, and then, um, the next day, it's, you know the woman in the car talking about oh i love the rain made all the pollution go away it's such a beautiful day it's so fantastic and that's completely as the audience you know how much that's affecting mr like the Kim. contrast he just yeah. survived a flood where he lost everything and yeah. she's saying it was a nice rain yeah which i thought is absolutely fantastic because yeah. that just is a great contrast and that leads further into him having some form of distaste for the family and even so she rolls down the window after being like oh what's that smell you know now she understands what Mm -hmm. the husband was talking about before so yeah and he gets more and more upset and we're we're Point, we're pointing this out in the story for a reason, which this is something that I didn't expect later on, but I don't know if you want to drop it now, but <laughs> it leads, it, it builds. Well, I want to circle back to the rock. And yeah. so all these themes, or rather all these motifs that are used to further the theme, they have perfect arcs. Mm-hmm. And so the smell... You know, we're kind of building that up and the rock, we're seeing that. Um, but kind of when it all culminates into, you know, it's about to be unleashed is when um, the guy in the basement actually gets free. Mm-hmm. And he uses the rock to, I can't even say it, to smash in the son's head. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought the son was dead at that point. I was like, oh, he's gone. Yeah, and it's like, oh, you, like, we see the rock, okay, it's a rock. The rock was a very, like, but like bright symbol of the future and something that... It's completely that, turned and becomes his immediate demise and you know, ultimately his death from the, you know. From what we could tell. For that moment. I can't even explain. I don't know. Like, how do you do that with something so perfectly? Yeah. And yeah. What? Take me, free me, say something. I don't know. (laughs) No, I completely agree. I think that that, point uh aside from me thinking that he was dead at that point spoiler alert he's not dead but i thought he was completely out i thought yeah 
after the second smash, I was like, that's it. Like, that's some <laughs> major brain damage. That's internal bleeding of the brain. Like, he's gone. Um, but all of this is happening at a birthday party for the sun. And, yep. um, uh, like, uh, fancy gathering. Yeah. Just so, casual. a lot of high people, like, highbrow people just yep. coming to this party. And, um, he had gone down for some reason uh to check on the woman i can't remember if he was bringing food or something like that to them but he he was getting food for him and his girlfriend which was a girl he was tutoring they kind of get together oh right yeah so he goes down there and he sees that the woman is pretty much um the woman uh the maid let me be more clear is complete like she's knocked out she's unconscious he goes to try and help her he gets snared by like some uh i can't remember where that snare came from but he got it and uh tries to run away couldn't get smashed in the head by a rock by the husband of the maid and then he goes upstairs and this leads me to where i i had seen the book for the um the book I had talked about earlier with the storyboards mm-hmm. is that this image I think was one of the uh, preview images you have of the storyboarding book is the man with the bloody face. Oh, and I, I had no idea what it was. I was like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, you know, looking at the storyboard, but now watching the movie and having all the context, I'm like, oh, that's what that's from. So the man goes upstairs. We're instantly like. This is not going to end well. He's got a knife now. He's upset by the family. He's bloody. But he's, he's absolutely bloody. And this is also prefaced by the fact that the son had previously seen this man before. The son had seen this man previously before and had nightmares about him about and drew about him. the little boy son. Yeah. And there's like a thing throughout the movie where he feels like he saw a ghost or something. Some demon. And it looked demonic whenever it showed it previously. And we were like, what is that? Like, that's, that's yeah, so strange. I don't stairs. know what that is. We're kind of like, a, is, we're like, oh, the kid's got to be kind of crazy. But no, <laughs> it shows that it was actually that guy. And then I'm like, at this point, I'm kind of catching on. I'm like, oh, no, it's the kid's birthday. He's loose, he's bloody, he's got a knife, and I'm like, this is not going to end well. That kid is going to be traumatized for life. Uh, He was both ways, but... (laughs) You know. Yeah, and, you know, from that point, uh, chaos kind of ensues. All the... Anything that was tidied up or thought to be solved or kind of worked out, I mean, it's all unleashed again and unravels and um i don't remember every little point out there but once you know the fight transitions to the the backyard where the party is um everything just culminates and you know people start getting stabbed and uh again coming back to that theme of smell and kind of rounding that out we see the uh, husband and the Park family, like, you know. After the, the guy had stabbed the daughter. He's, like, smelling the 
you know, death or whatever that smells like. And, you know, he's about to throw up or kind of gagging. And then the, the dad and the Kim family sees that. And that's like his trigger. Like that sets him off. He's had yeah. enough of these like rich elitist folks and doesn't matter what he's going to lose. Like he has enough. He grabs, I think a tomahawk or you know, whatever they're using, a knife, something. Yeah. <laughs> he just goes up and stabs the guy right in the chest. And, yeah. um, you know, at that point everyone's already you know, losing their minds or running around, but, um, everyone clears out and, at that point, you're like, yeah, there's no coming back from yeah, that one. Like, you're like, that's... You've gone past. That's a definitive. Yeah, you might have smelled like onions before, but you killed the patriarch, so... um, Yeah, that's a no for me, dog. <laughs> but, yeah, so he... After seeing his daughter stabbed, and I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like, that's terrible. He's trying to help the daughter. He... Uh, the wife of the Kim or the mother of the Kims, they, she ends up, I think, killing the guy, right? Stabbing him. Um, the uh, husband from the cellar guy, right? Yeah. 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 Yes. He stabs and kills him. So he's out. And now Kim, the uh, dad, is trying to help the daughter. He looks up and the dad of the parks is screaming at him, give me the keys, give me the keys. We have to go. We have to leave. We have to do this, that, and the other. And he runs over uh, after uh, the Kim dad throws the keys or I think misses somehow or another. Mm -hmm. He has to come over and smells the dead uh, husband to the maid. And he's like... You know, he does that. That triggers him. And after he stabs, after Kim stabs the park dad, I'm like, yeah, there's what I was like. First off, my reaction is why? Why would you do that? That is literally like if you didn't do anything, you might have gotten scot free because it was a, a madman and pretty much everybody else in that whole thing was dead. All those yeah, lines were cut. The maid was dead. The husband of the maid were dead like you're and they had an free. excuse for kind of caring for other people because oh she got stabbed i'm trying to help her right it's not you know they could kind of get away with that mm -hmm. but it's you know all of that could have been avoided but again it comes back to the writer being like how can i push this further and make it more like unexpected and i my hat goes off to that because it's a fantastic way of just subverting the expectations of the viewer and being like, you know, it was a it was a growing animosity that we knew was there, but we didn't expect it to come to that. And, you know, once it happens, the <coughs> father, the Kim uh, father, he runs out and we're like, he, he escaped. He's gone, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then it does come out. I can't remember uh, exactly how, but it did. They did find out that the entire Kim family was faking it, that they were frauds, that you know everything. They were charged and pretty much sent to jail. Yeah, I assume and, the Park family, like you know, filed all the things for that. Um, yeah, to have all that come out. But um, yeah, I think. Beyond like a class 
disparity, there was a kind of generational disparity as well. Because, yeah, I just want to come back to the, the both the dads and the fact that he could have gotten away freely or let me murder this guy instead. Yeah. Um, it just shows you like how tired of it he was decades and decades of kind of being put in the back and walked over by this other class of people and you don't see that with the their kids yeah like they're a little more naive and fresh-eyed to things yeah but you know with him it was worth losing everything just to like in his mind like win, like beat the system and, you know, kind of gain the upper hand, but, you know, (laughs) at what cost? And yeah, I think that's just, you know, you can say, well, logically he shouldn't have done that, but like think about our emotions and how we react to things. I mean, I think that's a very human Mm -hmm. thing that a choice that was made to, kind of let the rage and the, you know, fire in his eyes come out. Yeah. I definitely think, I I think that was the fantastic choice. Regardless of how right or wrong it was, it was the very human choice and the fact that he didn't care whether this was the right move or not. He just acted on instinct and uh, kudos to the actor for portraying such rage and like all of the cast and everything fantastic actors and just you know it the entire cast just did fantastic regardless of if i could understand them or not they played perfectly the parts and there was never a time where i wasn't like where i was like i don't know what's going on because of the actors i think they built up the tension and everything well between these two classes and what they wanted as people and who they were as humans that it it came to the point where i was like i can understand why mr kim would do that is because of the way he is is he's not this very like oh let's just not make any fuss right he's a very like oh i'm gonna do what i want to do right i'm gonna make my own plan and so i could understand why he made that choice which is Um, funny you say make my own plan because his whole philosophy is the best plan is to not have a plan if you don't have a plan you can't mess it up and you know that's never more apparent than his actions at the party so Mm -hmm. i think it's uh it's very reflective of him as a yeah, person. Yeah, it's very symbolic. And, you know, regardless of how the movie ends and, you know, you can watch it and see, you know, the the son recovers or he's got brain trauma and recovering from that. And I'm not even so sure that that's reality, to be honest. I need to yeah, watch I it again. I actually I think don't it's like know if that was true because it did fantastical cut back to thought on yeah how life could have been or like yeah. what ifs type of thing i don't i don't think that's reality so that that's fantastic i love the ending with that as well is that i had no idea if that was reality is this just fantasy yeah uh oh. the landslide escape from reality um so 
I I believe that I'm sorry I had to do that. We're gonna um, get uh, taken off a of podcast now. <laughs> um, so I believe that it was uh, maybe a glimpse of at what could be because then you know what we're referring to is the fact that after he comes out of the coma, he goes to jail he gets out of jail i can't remember if he's just put on probation or whatever yeah uh, the intricacies i can't remember too fully because like, he, he didn't do anything wrong mm-hmm. except be like Lie. a part of it like yeah. he didn't you know kill anyone or stab anyone or anything yeah so he comes out of that and he goes up on this hill and he's looking over at the house and he sees the lights flickering. This is a callback to earlier in the movie where the husband of the maid had tried to use Morse, Morse code, code yep. to communicate with Mr. Uh, Park. And he's like, oh, he's a scout. He should know. And so and now... the little boy did. Oh, he... Yeah. The, he somewhat knew. Yeah, his son like knew something was happening, but he didn't know why. Yeah. And so we see the light flickering and we're like initially we're like oh it there's no way it's which the husband to the maid what is going on with that? And so he starts deciphering this Morse code and then he goes into this whole letter which I'm like if you're trying to spell that out with Morse code my man's had to be sitting there for like <laughs> a solid 3 4 hours. Yeah. And and Mr. Kim had to be firing off that Morris code um, because it's a pretty lengthy message. But it essentially was a message that said, hi, it's me. If you're out there, son, I'm talking to you. This is your father. And I'm here in the basement. Whenever I tried to flee, I saw the garage was open. I snuck in and I've been living here off of the new family that... Yeah, uh, just moved in. It's kind of the uh, Ocean's Twelve. This is how it happened. Moment mm-hmm. where you know we get to see him sneak it back into the house. So mm-hmm. like that's where that's why it seems real because it's like oh well yeah of course like that could have happened. Mm-hmm. But there's just so many things that kind of visually and artistically make it seem like um, that's more for us than like the actual characters um, yeah. really doing what we're seeing. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think you do point out a good thing is that, or a good point is, it's hard to know if I should trust uh, the narrator. And I think it calls back to what we talked about with the storytelling of Knives Out is untrustworthy storytellers. You don't know if they're telling the truth or not. Unreliable narrators. And um, so he goes into this huge monologue from Mr. Kim. And pretty much says, I'll be here until I'm able to get out and I'm free uh, uh, to leave. But for now, I stay. And so then I can't remember how he would attempt to write the letter to Mr. Kim. But the son uh, pretty much is like, I'm going to get. Oh, I think he left a note, right? Um Regardless. I I don't remember. Yeah, I think he was going to try and communicate via letter or something like mm-hmm. that. So he le- was going to leave a note that said, "One day I'm going to be extremely rich, 
and I'm going to move in there with mom and when I do we'll be standing on the lawn and all you have to do is just walk out and that's how that vision ended but then it cuts back to him back at his house where where he was staying writing the letter yeah and so that's where it comes down to well maybe that never happened maybe that's him just imagining that's just him being who he was from the beginning uh, a dreamer. young guy trying to like make a way for himself and I think that's kind of beautiful to end it that way because he didn't make great decisions but like he's still human and he's still has the desires like we all do to achieve great things and mm-hmm. to kind of have that uh, daydream flashback or flash forward rather um, yeah. about what ifs and could haves, then I think it's just a really uh, sweet sentiment to end on. Yeah. And, you know, to touch on the rest of the film and these motifs, it's extremely well done in the fact that if you're not looking for them and you're just looking at the movie as a movie and not looking at it as a statement you're in for a wild ride um but once you start looking under the surface and the deeper meanings behind the objects and um the interactions between the families you start to understand that there's a deeper Uh, evil and something that they're trying to say about inequality in income and what lengths people will go to to try and reach that point of having money and being rich and they even talk about it in the movie about how the rich people pretty much they're so gullible and so nice because they're rich yeah and i never thought of that But now that the movie has said that, I'm like looking at the world differently in the fact that I'm looking at those who are in lower income situations and not as advantaged as I am monetarily. And I'm like, I don't understand the struggle. I'm over here on my high horse saying that it should be like this, this, and this. And I understand struggle because I deal with my own stuff. But which I'm not saying that's not valid. But it's, we all struggle with things and we achieve, want to achieve things and we're never, you know, we're, we're always striving for more. But when you're at that level of the Kims in the beginning where you have nothing, you're sitting on the toilet to try and get bars, you know, you'll do anything and you'll become yeah. whatever you have to be to gain that advantage. Absolutely. I think, you know, that's the ultimate takeaway from this film that you know, you can never truly understand the struggle of the lower class if you're in the upper class and you can't understand perhaps from the other side what the upper class had to do to achieve their wealth. Um, Mm -hmm. From seeing it from the lower class, you just see rich people with Ferraris or, you know, whatever. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful film. Uh, quickly, I just want to touch on uh, a little bit of the technical side of things here with it. There's a lot of visual effects. It, mm-hmm. From how we've described the film and when you watch it, you're like, 
they just shot this straight up at a mansion, you know, whatever. But the house was like built for the film and most yeah. of it is just VFX. Like it's not even mm-hmm. an there's actual no, full house. There's, no, there's um, no second story. So that's just a great use of practical uh, sets in the forefront and then building on it to create the world um, that mm-hmm. you see done really well. And you don't ask a question. Like you don't even think about it because it just feels right. And that's yeah. when, you know... <laughs> It's not to toot right. the horn again, but like it's really well done, and yeah, um, can't say enough good things about Parasite. If you haven't seen it, I think even knowing all these things, it would be a really interesting and fun watch. And yeah, if you have seen it, then maybe watch it again and look for some of these things because they're all there. Yeah, that. Parasite is a movie that I believe even after watching it, it's something that I'm like, when I go back to watch it, I know what's going to happen, but am I ready to watch it again? Um, But I think that it adds so much value in the way that it was shot, like the cinematography and the shot layout and how it was uh, the style of every shot very vertical fantastic like a lot Mm -hmm. of it deals with like moving up and down which again very symbolic yeah and then it's also i've seen people talking about how there are lines that divide the families and there are dividing factors between the families that are very or it's very visual too like whenever an example is whenever the old housekeeper is talking to the wife, the park wife, and she's sitting at the park wife is sitting at the table. The maid is standing up talking to her, but there's the divide in the glass, right? Mm, yeah. That divides those two. The and then whenever Mr. Kim is at the office waiting to take Mr. Park home, there's a line dividing both of them in the frame. And then whenever the daughter of the Kims is sitting down with the wife of the Parks, there's a line in the kitchen dividing them as well. So it's very like minute details, but these shots were not just thrown together because they look pretty. Yeah. Right? They were specifically chosen, and I think there's a lot of this that goes throughout the film. There's so many layers that you as a viewer, you have to do some work to make these inferences. Mm -hmm. You have to do this work to connect these dots because the film, it's not going to do it for you 100%. Because on the surface level, it's a nice film. It's a wacky ride. It's about a family that's, you know trying to be more than they are and they fail like uh pretty much fail (laughs) so they it's a wacky ride on the surface but if you dig deeper it's got a deeper meaning uh between inequalities uh of wealth which you know a lot of it does circle back but the way that they get this message across it happens in multi like multi-layered ways rather than just yeah. one single hey 
this person's richer than this person and yeah yeah that's it i'd be surprised if any choice in the entire film was someone just saying oh yeah like do whatever you want like you know we didn't have time to look at that i very strongly believe almost every single decision everything we see every sound we hear like was just meticulously combed through mm-hmm. um, and thought about. And for you know, a, as a filmmaker, a that's time. that's what you strive to do with all your projects. But inevitably, you get to some point, it's like ah, I didn't think about that. And then you're there shooting. It it's like, do you, you know what can we do? All right, let's do that. I don't. I really don't think that happened on this film. Honestly, I, I think they mm. got to make exactly what they were trying to make and. The reward is you win Best Picture. Yeah. I think that the experience that Bong Joon-ho has had on throughout his entire career has culminated for that. Yeah. I think that this is not just, oh, he happened to get everything right and win Best Picture and all these other accolades. He didn't just get lucky. This man has been working since... Like the 90s, right? He's been working since the 90s as a director, as a producer, and perfecting his craft and what he's doing. This is not just him on a Saturday, let's go out and shoot. (laughs) And I think that points to the fact that as a director, you will not have, and this goes as an artist in general, you will not have all the answers, in the beginning you will not know you will mess up you will show up to a location and you will not have thought about an aspect that is going to mess up the location and using it you might have thought about the weather you might have thought about the time of day and when the sun sets and when the sun rises you might have thought about all that sort of stuff but you didn't anticipate the neighbor having a huge subwoofer in their basement and shaking the entire house Right. You, there are things that will happen in filmmaking that you need to understand and kind of, you know, some things you can't predict, some things you can't plan for. But when you have someone with the level of Bong Joon-ho at the helm who knows what he's doing and what to look out for, right, it really makes a huge difference. And that's why I think that this movie is so great. Is it so well thought out because of his experience? And there was no studio in there saying, yeah, I think we need to trim it down 10 minutes. We need, like, someone handed him the keys and said, you're driving. And everyone Mm -hmm. else got in the back. And they're like, we're with you, man. Because, like, where you're going, there's big things. And I just, I love his story. I mean, the fact that he's grinded for so long and finally getting his shot. Everyone is going to want to work with him. You know, mm-hmm. he's not going to ever have trouble getting another film made. And no, that's going to just be great for us as viewers because, you know, outside of my own filmmaking, watching him is just a master class and something that I look forward to. So, yeah. Yeah. Parasite 2019. Go check it out. Big deal. What about it? It just happened to win four Oscars. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, thank you so much for listening to the podcast again. We're, we're still getting a lot of great feedback from you guys and we just keep it coming, whether it's on our Instagram at Cinevibes, the Cinevibes, the Cinevibes, at the Cinevibes or at our email, insert Trey's voice here, <laughs> the Cinevibes cast at gmail.com. That's where you can reach us. And also, we happen to be on Apple Music now. Yeah. Uh, well, I think they changed the name of it. Apple Podcasts. But, oh. yeah, we are on there. So you can check us out on Spotify, SoundCloud, if you're you know, making mixtapes and you stumble across Could us. you drop in fire every week. Or uh, Apple Podcasts. So... There's no excuse not to listen. We want to hear from you guys. Let us know That's what movies right. you want us to review because we'll do it. Because, yeah. I mean, eventually, I wanted to say this earlier, we're going to review something that we didn't like. But right now, we're just enjoying mm. some of the ones we did like. And it won't always be a yes fest and nines out of tens. I mean, there's yeah. some bad ones out there. We'll get to them. There's some pretty oofs and uh, yikers out there. So Honestly, like... Find any Netflix film from last year. About half of them are straight duds. So let us know which one of those you want us to watch. Let us know what you're watching. Let us know what you think about this review. Let us know your thoughts on Parasite. And thank you so much for listening again. Absolutely. This is Cinevibes. And we are out. Out.